What do you do when you're facing challenges to remember that God is all there is? How do you apply spiritual principle in the real world? What are your daily spiritual practices? These are the kinds of questions we'll talk about in this show. Your hosts, Leslie and Tracy, will share their experiences, but also want to learn from your insights, your questions, and your suggestions. So, don't just listen in. Call us with your comments. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Say Yes to Spirit. Uh, I'm Tracy. Leslie will be joining us in just a minute. And I am so glad you have decided to say yes to spirit, yes to this opportunity that we have every day to reconnect and refocus and remember that at the core of everything, our lives revolve around our willingness to say yes to that creative power, that creative process that makes each one of us unique and special and wonderful. And so that is actually a good lead-in because our theme today is diversity. And uh, what is it that makes each one of us different? How do we say yes to that? And uh, what are some of the challenges with that? Just in case this is the first time you've ever uh, listened in to Say Yes to Spirit, I'll give you a little bit of background. We do this every week just in case we have new listeners. And as a reminder for those of you who are regular listeners, this idea of saying yes to spirit really developed from a conversation that Leslie and I had. And we were talking about what does it take to really have an amazing life, and how could we uh, engage in life in a different way, in a more positive way. And what happened was a recognition that a lot of that revolved around simply saying yes, not being in resistance, not trying to change what could not be changed, and really relying on faith, relying on our understanding of the spiritual truth of life And in that conversation, it also presented a challenge to us to say yes to spirit in this way by jumping into this communication medium and doing it like almost on the spot. So that's a little bit about the um, genesis, so to speak, of Say Yes to Spirit, the radio show, and And again, we're really glad that you joined us. So our theme today is diversity. We're all one human race, so we shouldn't talk about the ways we're different, right? Wrong. So we'll get into that, but we always like to connect the dots between our current theme, diversity, and the theme that we had for our most recent show, which was self-esteem. Self-esteem and how does that connect with diversity. And Leslie just loves to play this game called Connect the Dots, so I'm just going to turn it over to her. It, it is a ritual, isn't it? I'm all about the rituals, the routines and the rituals. You know, it is a curious uh, that self-esteem, we talked about the difference between self-confidence and having kind of a, a presence outwardly versus self-esteem being more of an inner uh, thermometer, an inner knowing of our true yep. essence. And when I think about when I get caught up in seeing someone as different or seeing myself as different, usually that I see myself as different. But um, when I get caught up in seeing the differences, I, I'm forgetting that inner truth, that inner sense of, you know, truth, capital T, that there is this golden thread amongst all of us creating this huge oneness and when I forget that and lose the sense of my inner being then I can get very caught up in so and so's different, I'm different, you know, my lifestyle's different, their color's different, their lifestyle's different, their opinion of me and um, you know, seeing um, Tracy's favorite theme in her business I hear her talk about uh, Oneness, not sameness. Is that? Did I get that right, Tracy? Something like that. Yes. Yes, I like that. So um, to focus on the oneness, not the sameness. There's, there's no need to be, you know, 
same and different doesn't mean bad and I don't have to judge it. You know, if I have a healthy self-esteem, I'm not going to judge the difference. I'm not going to make me better or me worse based on some judgment. That was a very long connect the dots, but I'm feeling good about it. But you like it. I like it. (laughs) I like it too. So let's take a little break and... um, I invite you, if you're listening, to go get a cup of coffee or a cup of tea, and we'll be back in about one minute. You're listening to Say Yes to Spirit with Tracy and Leslie. And our theme today is diversity. And in over three years of doing this show, we've never had a show about diversity. And that's crazy, Tracy Brown, because that's what you do in the world. Your human expression is a lot of that. Yeah, I was thinking about that, too. It's like, how could we do 176 shows and not one of them was a, was the focus on diversity, and that's my um, mission and passion. And um, not diversity is not my mission and passion. Having helping people bridge their the gaps between their diversity and helping people turn diversity into inclusion is my passion. But the fact that we've not ever talked about it specifically is uh, quite interesting. Yeah, so um, diversity is really simply that that the existence of differences, the ways that we are different from one another, and that's not good, that's not bad, as Leslie said in the Connect the Dots. It's just that we're different. And one of the things that's so powerful, especially from the context of Say Yes to Spirit, is that when I remember that every form of life that has been created is an expression of God, then to me diversity is divine design. That you know, all look alike and think alike and talk alike. Right. And that there's little bugs and big bugs and... Okay, we don't have to talk about bugs. We don't have to talk about mice or rats. We don't have to talk about snakes. They are all divine, but we're we're not going to talk about bugs, rodents, kitty cats, dogs, snakes, or turtles. Okay, but we can talk about any other species of life you want. Love it. Just have to set some ground rules. <laughs> I don't want to get up and walk away, walk oh, out, of my, out of our own show. I want to creep you out. Yes. Um, so it is interesting. When I think about diversity as simply the divine design or the creativity of God expressing, then it's so hard for me to understand why people are afraid of someone who's different from them. Like to me it's, it's, wow, I get to see another way that God is expressing in the world mm-hmm. versus they're a threat to me or they're better than me or worse than me. Mm-hmm. It's like, wow, look what God did here. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so yeah, I, it just, again, makes me amazed that we haven't had a show in three years, in three and a half, almost four years, where we focused on that for an hour. It is interesting. That is true. That is funny. That is, yeah, that is different. That is something to be noticed since that is so much a part of your experience. And you're, and you're right. I do, you know, love the, 
the idea that the, the, the diversity and the differences between us, you know, is, is an array of, of who God is, you know, even like we were saying, all the, even the animals, the kitties and the dogs and the and bunnies. The and, and the flowers and the plants yeah. and the fish in the sea yeah. and all of that, which is actually an interesting contrast because we don't expect every cat, we don't expect every kitty to look alike, meow the same, right. have the same color eyes. You know, we don't expect that's that. That's true in nature. We and we love them, right? All We're like, the bunnies. Oh, yeah. look at the cute cat. Uh-huh. Oh, look at the kitten. Or with dogs, we do not expect a bulldog to behave the same way as a poodle. And we don't expect that poodle to look like the mm-hmm. Doberman Pinscher. Mm-hmm. And we definitely don't expect that Doberman Pinscher to look or act like a Great Dane. And so in that sense, we are, as human beings, very open Accepting. to diversity. Yes. Isn't that amazing? And celebrate, you know, and we, you know, yeah. Mm-hmm. And we may have our preferences, you know. I may want a little, well, I would never want a little Yorkshire Terrier. But, you know, I have a friend who has a um, I was going to say a Jack Daniels. What are the the little Jack Daniel? It's not Jack. Jack. Jack Ter- I don't know now. I have no idea. Right, I can't figure yeah. it now. But if you're listening, you know what yeah, I'm talking uh-huh. about. Uh-huh. Um, and you know, and then I have a friend who has a Bichon Frise, and she loves mm. that, right? And and I think this little white furry, you know, yapping dog, it's like it's really cute, but I couldn't live with it, right? Jack Russell. Jack Russell, thank, thank you. you. <laughs> it's like not Jack Daniels. Yeah, that's good. Though. I like the idea. Whiskey Terrier, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and so we are okay with our preferences, mm-hmm. but because I have a preference for a specific dog type mm-hmm. or cat type, I don't think, in fact, it, it's like I think I like all dogs, but I just prefer this one. You don't judge the others as less than or different. Or, or right, or as not, um, as not worthy of having life itself, right. right? Or if I go to the dog park with my dog, I don't think... I can't go be... to that park because there's Jack Terriers and I have a Maltese. Right, yeah. or I, this is my dog park and so any any other breed cannot come in this park. Mm-hmm. We sit and watch the dogs, all their different breeds, and especially the mutts that are not, mm-hmm. you know, purebred by any means, um, we we look at them play together, mm-hmm. right? And we encourage our dog to, you know, make friends. And it's, it's, it's crazy that we don't do the same thing with people mm-hmm. because we do it with plants. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't garden, but just about everybody else I know does. <laughs> You know, and the idea of of the preparing the soil for a rose bush is different than planting, you know, a different kind of perennial that needs shade mm. or that needs more sun. Mm. And you actually, if you're a gardener, you investigate what does this kind of plant need in order to be successful. And when it blooms, what color are the flowers going to be? And so I want to get a plant to plant next to it, a flower in the flower bed that's going to complement it. So I need to know all about it too. And there's this curiosity and this planning so that when the 12 different flowers bloom, they're going to bloom to complement each other. And, you know, some will flower in these two months, and then they'll be replaced by the next one. And we use that, right, to make our flower bed beautiful. Because all the same color, all the same flower would not be as of, a, of, a, of an array. If we right. It wouldn't be as visually appealing. Right. It wouldn't be as, uh, it wouldn't allow the flow and the growth and the blooming throughout the season because they would all come alive at the same time, and a week later they'd all be dead, and then you'd have no flowers for the rest of the year. Mm-hmm. It's fascinating to me. 
that we have such a capacity for not just tolerating diversity, but for seeking it out, for interacting with it, for appreciating it, for investigating and learning and having curiosity about it. In the animal and plant world. (laughs) And in our human world, many of us avoid it, avoid diversity at all costs. And we make up stories about it. We don't even have the curiosity to learn more. We just know it's bad or dangerous. So, so, so people have the the idea that <clears throat> diversity is dangerous, or diversity is is something people will give lip service of acting like that they want, but on a deeper level, they are not wanting, not wanting people that don't think like me or act like me. Yeah, I don't think that most people think about it that much, really. Mm. But in the behavior that we mm-hmm. see in our world, right. in our neighborhood mm-hmm. even, right, or in our spiritual community or anywhere we go, the behavior indicates mm-hmm. that we, as human beings, especially in the U.S., um, you know, we do tend to be with people who are more like us than unlike us, mm-hmm. when we can control that. So, yeah, what happens a lot in the workplace is you don't, unless you're the hiring manager, you don't get to control who you work with. Mm-hmm. And and so most people, you know, don't hand select their team or the person they have to give the report to or the, and definitely not the customer who comes in and who requires service. So we don't have as much control there as we do in terms of where we live and who we interact with socially or even where we go to church. We have a lot more control there mm-hmm. over um, our interactions, our, our our people, the people that we deal with or meet. But at work, which is, and that relates to the work that I do a lot, right, because I do a lot of work in companies around cross-cultural communication, around leading multicultural teams, around inclusion in all its different forms. And it comes up a lot there because when you're at work, you have a job to do and you have to provide service to or interact with a lot of people who you might not ever come into contact with in your quote-unquote personal life. And so a lot of us don't have the skills we need to communicate comfortably and to resolve problems and all of that. So, you know, we could go in that direction, but the reality is we don't always consciously realize we're choosing to limit our interaction Mm. with people who are different from us. It's almost a subconscious thing, you know, or it's the message your your mom gave you when you were, you know, two, three, four years old not to talk to strangers, or when you asked an innocent question at four or five years old about the man who was sitting over there, you know, with no legs and, you know, begging for money, quote-unquote begging for money, have a cup out or a bowl out. And your parent or whoever adult you were with just grabbed you and said, shh, Mm -hmm. like we don't talk about that, like don't notice. Right. Like that man doesn't know that he doesn't have two legs. Yes, like the little child's bringing, you know, asking an innocent question, right? Right. I mean, if if the the child asked the adult, he or she was with. But if the child had turned to the man and said, why, do you, why don't you have legs? Or why do you only have one leg? Or why are you in a wheelchair? Right. The person in the wheelchair would have been fine. Would have been just fine because it's a child. And, you know, and the child would have gotten an answer to the question, but instead the child gets shushed. And the implication, the implied thing is, that's bad to talk about, which means it's bad to notice. Right. Which means you're not safe 
because you don't know why that person or what what could happen, and you have fear that's going to happen to you or fear that they're so different from me, I better just be quiet. And that foundation, when you grow up, is in your subconscious unless you've done some conscious work to remove it. You know, it's interesting. I'm thinking about um, the program that I work with in the Dallas County Women's Jail, part of what we do is we uh, volunteers come in and we have a relationship with Southern Methodist University, which is a college in Dallas, and and they have to be a you know, college that has a reputation of having a bit of a bubble. Costs a lot of money to go there, and um, a lot of the people that go there kind of are you know kind of look alike and act alike. And um, we have six SMU students in any given semester that come into the jail. And we had these two young women last week for the first time that came in, and they came into my class. And, um, you know, there's just, regardless of who you are, if you're from SMU or from South Dallas, you know, when the doors lock, everybody that first time kind of has that reaction. You have to go through a series of eight different doors locking behind you. So there's always that kind of sense of, I'm here now. Uh, you know, I, there's no going back. And um, they came into the class, and during the class, uh, several of the women, you know, talked about what the women talk about, talked about their sexual trauma as children, talked about their husband's abuse, talked about their mother's addiction, and, you know, their first using was with their dad when he was high, he shot them up kind of stories. And when we were leaving the jail, it was so amazing, these two young girls, they both said, they said, I've got to go home and journal, which I just loved, of course, initially. I was like, you journal? That's so we profound. like you, right. We like you. And they said, I've got to write down this feeling of, of like, I now understand how I had all these opinions about people in jail, and none of them were right. And I, anybody, this one girl, she said, Anybody that I ever hear talking about people in jail, I'm going to tell them they don't even get to talk about people in jail until they go in a jail and listen to the stories. Oh. Uh, that boy, she got it, didn't she? You wow. Know? How powerful is until that? Until I know what, you know, the other person's experience is, I don't even get to talk about it. You know? <laughs> I thought, wow. Yeah. I, would be, I wouldn't be talking very much. But anyway, I think that's a really good... That's Well, and it is. It's a perfect example of... Um, especially, almost especially the more judgment, negative judgment I have about an identity group Mm -hmm. of people, the more I probably have no real understanding of them. And I would never seek out understanding. Exactly, because I have... Because I already know. I have my story. I know what I know. Why would I want to go... Right. And that's different from, let's say, um, I have had an experience of, if I have had an experience of sexual trauma or um, physical abuse or domestic violence. Now, part of my story about people who, you know, men who beat their wives or their girlfriends, if, you know, if a part of that is based on because I was beaten or because I watched my mother being beaten, you know, that's one thing. That's a, a story. That's an experience with one person. But what what I'm talking about and what we're talking about more is when we have a negative judgment about an identity group that we really know nothing about. Well, all we know about them is maybe what we've heard in the media right. or what's been told to us. Right. But we have not met, you know, 20 or 50 people to hear their story. Mm-hmm. And and I want to add that not so much looking at, like, categories of people by legal terms, but identity groups of people by race, ethnicity, education, you know, categories of people, folks who don't have a college education, and this is what I believe about them. Because, you know, I grew up in a family where both of my parents were college educated, my grandparents were college educated, and most of the people who were friends of the family were college educated. And, you know, it's like just an expectation. And so I look down on people who don't have a college education. Get out there and meet some people who are doing some amazing things in the world. 
who don't have a college education. Mm -hmm. And your view will shift. Um, you know, if you're, I, I, love, uh, I love what happens sometimes when organizations or leaders in organizations will say, well, you know, we don't need to, um, we don't need to talk about sexual orientation because, you know, we don't have any gay people in, uh-huh. you know, any gay employees. And they've got, you know, 250 employees or 500 employees. Mm-hmm. They have some folks in there. They have employees who are gay, lesbian, bisexual, or transgender. They do. But they haven't created an environment where those employees can be open about that. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and so just that idea that we don't, sometimes uh, I'll have a leader and they'll say that. I don't have anybody gay on my team even, and like in a large organization, and maybe they're responsible for you know, 50 employees, and they'll say, oh, I don't have anybody gay on our team, so we don't need to, like, bring that into the training. Um, and I will generally ask the question, how do you know? Gay people, raise your hand. <laughs> well, I'll ask the leader the question, how yeah. do you know you don't have uh-huh. anyone who's gay? Uh-huh. Well, nobody's told me. Oh. <laughs> oh. Then you just stare at them? Like, no, I just say, oh. Idiot. No, kidding. There you go. I oh. just say, oh. Oh. Is it possible that you can just look at the employees who report to you and know whether they're gay? And they'll always say, no, of course not. That's silly. Have you asked each person one-on-one if they're gay? Well, no, I wouldn't do that. Besides, isn't that illegal? Like, well, yeah, in the hiring process it would be, and there would be no reason for you to ask that. It's not a... um, a requirement to do the job, but if you haven't had a one-on-one conversation with each person, then how can you be so sure that there's not someone, you know, and then maybe I'll pull out statistics that, you know, reinforce that it is very probable that you have employees who are gay, and if they, if you don't know it, there's probably something that makes them uncomfortable, not just with you, but in this environment. If they don't have a picture of their significant other, their partner, or they don't talk about where they went over the weekend and who they were with, it, it could be they're just shy and private. It could be that they have no social life. And it could be that they're typically outside of work with friends of the same gender and they aren't comfortable with other people knowing that. You know, that comedian that has, you know, you might be a redneck if. I'm yeah. thinking you could do a little thing around it. You might have a gay employee if. You know, they don't have any pictures of their, they don't have any. That would be kind of a cute little thing. That would be cute. That would and be cute. And you know, actually, what that triggers for me, and I guess I should make a note, um, my, my friend Judy Carter did a book um, that I want to say was called The... Anyway, it was a, it was she's a comedian, she's a professional comedian, and she wrote this book. And there are some things kind of like that, uh-huh. like um, for um, for people who are heterosexual, like ten things not to do when you meet someone who is gay. Like, do not run out of the room screaming, <laughs> right? <laughs> And do not ask this and do not ask that. But, yeah, I thought that makes me think uh-huh. of her book. She might have a list like that, like how do you know. Right. How or, do you? or you might have because you mm-hmm. never know you 100%. Right. Yeah. right, but you might have a, a, a gay employee if. I always, find, I always feel like it's my responsibility as a gay person to come out that first day at a new job just so that everybody knows. Is that surprising to you? Probably not. But it is um it has always been an interesting theory that I've had that if all gay people came out there would be so much less opportunity for judgment because people would know that they know a gay person. It's, yeah, it's because so often knowing, yeah. A, you know, there are there we are in your church, we are next door, we are taking care of your kids, we are helping you transition in hospices, you know, we're everywhere. I had a therapist once that said we should have green hair. So then you would be identifiable. Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, we, that comes up a lot in some kind of visible way, mm-hmm. like 
green hair or when the movie Triangle. The Avatar came out, it was like, well, yeah, if we were, if if everyone who um, identified as LGBT or Q had like, you know, blue skin, like av- like in the film Avatar or something right. identifiable, and it's and so you know it's interesting because. Most of the story we make up about any group is really our story, not theirs. Uh, of course. Right? So I grew up, you know, black, and, and so I learned early on that most of what people thought they knew about me was in their mind. It had nothing to do with me as a, you know, a little Negro girl growing <laughs> up, Right? had nothing to do with how I viewed myself or what was important to me as a young black teenager. Mm-hmm. You know, it was made up based on, or people who were not black, you know, white, when white folks would, would interact with me often, it was so clear to me what they thought about me. Mm-hmm. And I didn't always, most of the time I didn't need to, correct to them, <laughs> I mean, you know, it was just, right. I could see that, okay, that's what they think, so, you know, then I would choose how I would respond, and, and or I would just be myself, if it was somebody I was going to have like a, you know, like when I go to college, when I went to college, I'm going to be with these folks all year, I just need to be myself, and, you know, they'll see how I really am or not. Uh, they won't engage with me, and they're lost. I mean, do you know what I mean? Like, right. I didn't feel I had to become. Tell everyone you were black the first day. Oh, you're so funny. You didn't think of it. But you know, the the story they thought of, right. you know, how I would speak or how I would do in certain classes or what my opinions would be, right. the assumption that I came from like the quote-unquote the ghetto, you know, or that, you know, just assumptions that people interact with you based on what's in their mind because they haven't met you and they don't know you, you know, Um, or that you're there on scholarship and so, you know, because your family can't afford for Mm. you to be there. All, All kinds of things. I'm like, really? Okay, that's your story. I don't. It's not who I am, but that's your story, and is, that still happens. Is the story that I'm hipper because I have a black friend? Is that a true story? I feel hipper because I have you as a friend. Oh, I is that feel a good sorry story? for you. Is that a good story? Yeah, I feel I so sorry I'm for you. Black friend, I'm hip. I'm cool. Come stand next to me. I think in the '70s that was a really that, was big that the thing. thing. Was that the thing? That yeah. was um, a somewhat big thing. Okay. I mean, and in the, and in the '70s it was one extreme or the other. You know, I'm hip, I'm cool because I have a black friend, or I'm hip and cool because I don't, you know, I don't let anybody uh, hang, come into my circle. Yeah. I mean, that. so it depends on what circle mm-hmm. you're in. So, um, so here's my question. Forgetting about the 70s and 80s, let's come up to, you know, 2013. 2014, 2012, let's come into the present time. So I I do have a passion about diversity and it being the divine design and um, our spiritual communities. A lot of growth. If if you are in a spiritual community, especially in an urban area, but not only in an urban area or metropolitan area, that diversity is a big part of your growth, being able to recognize and include diversity in a positive way is a clear part of growth because our metropolitan areas, not just urban, but the whole metropolitan area, there's so much diversity in our cities based on age, based on race and ethnicity, based on languages spoken, based on sexual orientation, educational levels. There, people are different from each other, right? They have different professional backgrounds. How are you going to grow your church if you don't create an environment where lots of different kinds of people 
can come together. So I did a survey a couple of months ago and of, um, of leaders, ministers and practitioners and, you know, ecclesiastically focused people. And it was asking some questions because I'm trying to design a, like, a 10-month leadership program around inclusion and growth. Nice. And I had... How to get more gay people in your church? Go ahead. And I had not just one person. I had a number of people, a percentage, an embarrassingly large percentage of people make comments like, well, we shouldn't even be talking about diversity because Who we're are all these, one. Are these leaders in the church? These are leaders okay. Okay. because the, the, the invitation to complete the survey only went to, well, you know, went to a minister's list. It went to a practitioner's list. Um, and it went to a few people I know who are out there, but they're in leadership roles. Um, all within one denomination or throughout different denominations? Um, in this particular case, and this was all at least initially sent out to people in religious science, so it wasn't traditional okay. Christianity, it was okay. New Thought. Okay. And we pride ourselves on a New Thought as being open and welcoming to all people and right. recognizing that all paths lead to God, right? Right. And in Centers for Spiritual Living, we actually have the intention in our vision to create a world that works for everyone. Right. So it just surprised me at the percentage of people who responded with comments that were similar to, we don't even need to talk about diversity because we are all the same. We're all human beings. There's only one race, the human race. Um, and things like that, um, one of the questions was, having read the description of this program, you know, would you be interested, Do you, you know, what's your level of interest in bringing this in? And, um, you know, and most people then wrote comments. It was like, why or why not? And most of them wrote comments. And the people who were like, they would not bring it in, there were a few who said, well, we wouldn't be able to fund it. We, we don't have the money, you know, that's why. I'd be interested, but. But the majority of people who said they wouldn't bring it in said things like, um, I don't want people talking about diversity because it will create conflict. Well, you know, that's kind of a both-and situation, isn't it? I mean, if we really were one race, then we wouldn't talk about it. So if, if we were embodying that which we believe, there wouldn't be, you know, the the need for it, but, you know, we, we haven't quite evolved in an outpicturing to the point that the one race is operating as one race. So it's kind of like by drawing attention to the fact that you have mostly white people here and when a black person comes to your church, there is sort of a little bit of a something-something maybe that happens. Who knows, you know? Or you have all gay people here, and I think, you know, that you know, plays as well. You have Absolutely. all gay people here and a heterosexual couple walks up and, you know, and like, like, wow. what are you doing here? I actually asked them to leave the gay hood. When they come down to the gay bars, I'm like, you're straight. Would you please leave? This is my area. You know, it's not. But anyway, um, so, I, so I do think, you know, it's happening. So the fact that we turn the light on and say, here's the experience of someone who's not like me. Here's their experience when they walk in my church doesn't mean by by turning the light on to it, I'm not creating the experience. I'm just bringing attention to the experience. And it's really, it's kind of a fascinating thing. This woman, I always have to tell at least one jail story, but this woman yesterday was talking in group about one of the things I always ask them to do is, is draw a timeline of their life and to try to look at different times in their life that either trauma happened or something happened that caused them to, to lose choice or to, and it wasn't safe for them to feel, so they, you know, feelings got pushed down, or that they were in place where they, you know, made a choice that they now see wasn't healthy, just to kind of right. get a picturing of what happened. And, and she did it, and she said, I just can't 
I, I did it. I, I can't go back. I can't look at it. I just can't deal with it. I just I have to throw it away. And I said, um, well, you know, how do you think not looking at it affects you? And she said, I, you know, I don't know. I don't know. And then I said, how many times have you been in jail? And she said, 43 times. 43 wow. times. And I said, you know, you might consider this timeline is fact. And you looking backward and seeing it and feeling it and, and healing from it is the thing that will free you from it. You seeing it, doesn't, you not seeing it doesn't it change the fact it. that it's a fact. Exactly. So in a strange way, your denial of it kind of perpetuates it and continues to give it power. Yes. And only through turning the light on and saying, oh, this is what happened, this is, this is, this is the fact, can I then become a choice to change? And, you know, I think that happens with any kind of grouping, you know, until I'm aware of how what's happening in my church or what's happening in my workplace or what's happening in my neighborhood, you know, I can't be a choice to change it until I clearly see it. Yes. So but don't be the light turner on or they usually don't like those people. <laughs> those are not the people that get, you know... No. Well, you know, what part of what makes it interesting for me is that we say we're the human race. And so we won't we don't have to there's no need to notice the differences. But for me that's the what we were talking about er, earlier. There is a species called flowers. Mhm. It's the flower garden. So we don't have an expectation that we wouldn't notice that the tulips are yellow and the roses are red. We don't have a negative story about that or that, you know, this flower is purple and this flower is, is um, this cactus has spikes and thorns or whatever they're called on cacti. And that it's perfectly lovely as a cactus within the species called flowers or plants. The noticing, yes. And And so... Differences, the judging. Right. And so when we say we're all human, we're all just one race, I agree with that completely. As a biological species, the human race... Our DNA is ninety, you know, nine or 95% the same, 99%, I think, the same. There's 1% different? But those, those little tiny pieces that, are, that have us show up as different visibly or different in our cultural, because we've been raised in different countries or different cities or different parts of the world, um, you know, we have different cultural norms and our behavior is not exactly the same. There's nothing wrong with talking about that or noticing it, just like I notice, you know, different breeds of dogs or different types of cats or different types of plants or different types of trees. And I don't feel like I'm, you know, I'm not feeling like that's a bad conversation to have, just noticing the differences and even noticing how I choose to mix like when the earlier conversation about the flowers in the flower bed. I actually want to learn more about that so I know how to make it work for me. And if it's a flower that's not going to work in my flower bed, I don't ban it from the earth. (laughs) I'm like, you know, a month later, someone I'm talking to might say, oh, you know, I'm looking for a plant that does blah, blah, blah. And you'll say, oh, yeah, I was just, I know about this. You might want to think about this plant. Right? Right. But with people, we don't do that. We're, it's, it's like we think if we even acknowledge mm-hmm. that there are people with different skin tones or people with different sexual orientation or people with different levels of education or people who speak different languages, <gasps> no, I can't do that. And to me, that makes no sense in the context of saying yes to spirit. I want to say yes to all the ways that spirit expresses in the world. Right. And isn't the, I can't talk about it, that kind of reaction would possibly come from 
their own not wanting to appear judging in their noticing. How do yeah, I notice? and not, not understanding there is a judge? difference between noticing, learning about, and judgment. Uh-huh. The, right. If I, if I notice or even know about ways that you're different from me, I don't have to have a negative judgment. Uh-huh. I mean, I want to have a judgment. I want my judgment to be that that's fascinating and uh-huh. that's, She's so different from me, and you know. But when we use judgment, we typically are meaning a negative judgment, and and I could have a negative experience with someone, and that doesn't mean everybody who might fall into that category is going to behave that same way. Right. And we, it's funny when when people. Um, when people have a negative experience, if someone has a negative experience with me, our personalities just clash or, um, you know, I do something that offends them or they do something that hurts my feelings, you know, I don't expect that every person who is in that identity group is bad now because of that. Mm-hmm. So I've had that conversation with a number of people um, over the years where when they think about it that way, you know, if I ask you the question, is there anyone that you can remember that you didn't intentionally hurt them, but they either their feelings were hurt or they, you know, were really angry with you for a reason. So do you want them, and, and in this case, you're white and you're female, if I asked you that, and then you said, yeah, I can think of this person. It was a long time ago, but, you know. Would you want them now to think every white woman they met was bad or mean or whatever they are thinking about you? And they'd be like, well, that's stupid. They just had an interaction with me. Right. And for a lot of people, they don't think about that. They wouldn't want every. They wouldn't want others to judge everyone in their identity group based on their interactions, right? Positive or negative. But that's what they do to others. You know, they think this is what Mexican Americans are like, or this is what uh, Asians are like, or you know, those Indian people are like such and such, and they may have had either no interaction or interaction with one or two people. To me, that's kind of insanity that I have an interaction with one person or five, and I think I know now. I make up a story about that's how five million people mm-hmm. who would fit into that group act. And it just goes back to the whole concept of what, how profound the story is. It's the story and and how to jump off the track of the story into the spiritual truth. There was a woman that I um, met with this morning that was talking about her journey and in a therapeutic environment, people get very engaged in telling the story. Yeah, they want me to understand the story yes, as they then. understand it so that I can Agree affirm them. their reality. And... Um, she said two of the most interesting things, and I, I guess I've been hanging out with her for about a year in that experience, and she said, you know, it must be really interesting to watch people's stories knowing that's not the thing at all. Yeah. And she said, I'm starting to see how the story is not the thing. And then she said, I'm learning how to observe my story and not be absorbed by my story. Nice. Wow, I'm going to make a bumper sticker out of that. That's pretty good. Nice. That's fabulous. And so how to observe the difference, how to observe the variety, how to observe what's happening around me that's not like me, but not be absorbed, you know, into making some story about it, you know, not having to place meaning to the experience, I guess. Or not to allow the the meaning to become 
the limit. Because mm. I think there can be meaning in what happens now that lays a foundation for my next expression, my next experience. So whatever meaning I attach to it doesn't become a box I stay in. It might become the foundation from which then I choose what to do next or what to learn next or how to behave the next time. Um, but it doesn't become the only thing I know about it. Or maybe making the conscious choice to make the meaning spirit, you know, to make the yeah. core spirit, to make the make the baseline, the assumption, spirit versus human. Exactly. And to know that there is a choice. That's a huge thing, isn't it? That's huge because most of the time we live our lives thinking we're the victim of other right. people's actions. Right. And we completely forget oh, that gosh. we have I have a voice. Choice. I have a choice. I have, I have a, yeah. I get to have an opinion of my day. It is, um, it is you know, and I'm, I'm thinking as a gay person, I can remember a time in my gayness. Um, in my early gayness, that I was um, drawn to Dallas, where I live, has a very active gay community, has a, a, a area of town where there's restaurants and bars and places to hang out and galleries and things that are, you know, called the gay area. And 95% at any given time of the people down there are gay people. And when I was younger, I remember clearly... Um, there were times that I just felt like I had to go to the gay hood. I just, you know, I just, there was something in me that was pulled to be around my people. <laughs> and um, and it was funny how I haven't had that pull in a long time, and I don't know what that really is about. I don't, I don't know why there wasn't really a, a transition time. I know, maybe, maybe. Um, but I can certainly recall that sense of, I've got to be around gay people. And um, it's funny, I started writing devotions again this week. I used to do that for years and years and years. And um, when I was writing devotions about four years ago, I had that need to go to the gayhood. And I hadn't had it in probably ten years. But I went. And it was there was a feeling of sort of a, kind of a exhaling. Oh, these are my people. And I didn't talk to anybody, I didn't, you know, but it was just a feeling of being at home somehow. Yeah. And I wrote a devotion about that. And I had been writing these devotions, and people at that time were, I think, paying 12 bucks for a year of devotions or something like that. And I had a list of, you know, 50 people, maybe 10 of what I knew. And, and so after I wrote that devotion about going to the gay hood and having that feeling, I got like four requests to be taken off the devotion list. Yes. And from people that had, prior to that, two of those people had, like, you could email me back and talk to me, you know, that way. And two of them had been engaging me in, like, these are really powerful devotions. I'm really getting so much out of them. And it was pretty clear once they heard that I was gay. That was pretty much the end of how powerful I could be for them. And I thought that was fascinating, you know, that that piece of information changed who I was for them. Right, which is so... Just so amazing to me that I can like someone, I can see value in who they are and what they do, and then I find out, like, you know, something that they weren't hiding from me, but I just didn't know about them. Right. And then all of a sudden, I, you know, can't, don't want to have anything to do with them. It's like that doesn't make sense to me at, at any level, but we see it repeat over and over and over again in, you know, especially for things that you can't attribute, that you can't necessarily see. Mm-hmm. And that could be even, you know, the, it's not just sexual orientation. It could be education level or socioeconomic where someone appears to me. I make up a story about who they are uh-huh. or who they are not. Uh-huh. And then as I get to know them, I find something uh, out about them that makes me go, oh, no, I can't hang out with people who, you know, did that. And I'm not talking about things that are legal or illegal, uh-huh. just who they are as a person. 
And that works on the opposite as well. So there are innumerable numbers of families that I know, and I'm guessing you probably know some as well, where either because their child was gay and they were disowned, or we don't, you know, we, mm-hmm. if you choose, quote, unquote, that lifestyle, you're not, not welcome here, or an interracial marriage or yes. relationship. Right. And then there, a baby comes into the <laughs> mix, right? And if it's an interracial couple, you know, they have a, a mixed a mixed race baby, or a lot of gay couples you know, adopt a child of a different race or they adopt a mixed-race baby because those babies aren't available and less likely to be adopted. And so, but then the grandparent or the cousin or the friend from high school who had created this distance because there was some form of diversity they were uncomfortable with, but they wanted to have interaction with this child. Right. It's like, oh, but this child, it's my first grandchild. Or mm-hmm. this, I want to, my grandchild to know me. Right. And, um, and all of a sudden that child becomes the bridge to look beyond right. the surface differences, to look beyond that and, and look at the true source of life within that baby, which also then reminds you of the true source of life within the child you disowned, you know, or that the the Uh couple you pushed away. Um, And then you say yes to spirit showing up, right? Right. You know, people, that's a a simple analogy as well, but, you know, the idea of people at the end of their life, having worked in hospice, watching people you know, reconnect or make those, you know, de- deathbed kind of, i got to go find Fred. You know, yeah. I haven't seen Fred. I disown Fred. And and how how things line up differently when you think you have a year to live versus I have forever, kind of. You know, things seem to just really shift. I used to think I should um, write a book and the title would be, you know, um, I want to live like I'm dying. I think there's a song that talks about that, you know, how, because it really, you know, there's a huge, the husk falls away from the corn. Isn't that profitable? Profit, like a profit, the husk falls away from the, you just, you get a clarity when you don't have, have much time in the human form when you're really aware of that. And, yeah, and you realize and you consciously, it comes up in your consciousness in a very strong, concrete way that the human form is not the limiting factor that we've made it up to be. That You know, the story that we've made about it, that people who are like this or people who do this or people who, you know, look a certain way um, are my enemies, that there really is no enemy except the enemy that I create. And so, wow, this different from me, very unlike me, and you know what? I've missed out in my life by not really getting to know them right. and not accepting them for who they are when they meant me no harm. Right. And maybe that's a key, they meant me no harm. I'm not saying go walk down a dark street at night and, like, you know, open yourself to someone in a dangerous situation. We're talking about in our lives as we meet people and interact with them. Our neighbors. Our work people. Yeah. So that's about all the time we have to talk about diversity today on Say Yes to Spirit. Next time we'll be talking specifically about age. Age. And um, What's that about age? Yeah, I don't know. We'll see. Diversity and age. Yeah. Well, at least it'll be an easy connect the dots, but who knows where the conversation will go. So thanks for joining us today, and until we connect again, please... Say yes to spirit.